Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also TEDx and keynote speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all kinds of information related to positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, wellness, lots of different things. So we hope you'll visit us. Also hope that you will be regular listeners to this podcast and will download, rate, and review it and tell other people about it. As longtime listeners to the podcast know, my goal is to present to you a unique bunch of individuals who lead their own lives enthusiastically and have different ways of helping us to become the best versions of ourselves. And today's guest really meets that definition. David Roselle is an author, speaker, and wealth manager. He's also, he's also a fellow podcaster who has the Recession Proof Your Retirement podcast. David's inspiration and zest for life have been shaped by a lifetime of international travel and adventure. Listen to some of these things. With a current tally of more than 75 countries on six different continents, David's quest for extreme travel have included hitchhiking from Nairobi to Cape Town, Africa, and climbing the infamous peaks of the Nepalese Mount uh, Himalayas. He was one of the privileged to partake in tearing down the Berlin Wall. As a recipient of a retirement distribution certificate from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business, David excels in making complicated financial planning topics easy to understand. You may have heard him or read what he has to say on CNN Money, U.S. News and World Report, Chicago Tribune, NBC News, uh, the New York Daily News, Fox Business, MSN Money, Yahoo Finance, and NPR. He is the author of two books, Failure is Not an Option, subtitled Creating Certainty in the Uncertainty of Retirement, and Keep Climbing, a Millennial's Guide to Financial Planning. He is, again, also the host of the very popular podcast, Recession Proof Your Retirement. David, I wish I had time to interview you, but after that uh, <laughs> resume, I don't know, but we'll, we'll make it work. I, I don't have to tell you, it's a real pleasure and honor to have you with us. Welcome to uh, Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Ron, it's such an honor to be on your show, and thank you for having me today. Well, I am really looking forward to this conversation, as I'm sure our listeners are. Let me start out with a strange question, because I don't want to jump right into retirement, both personally and, and on the podcast, but there seems to be a dichotomy in your life. I, you know, when I think about a financial person, uh, I think about him in a sedentary situation, sitting over a desk pouring over numbers, coming up with different kinds of schemes and so on to help people retire. 
sounds like you've spent a big chunk of your life away from a desk and doing really uh, active kinds of things. So number one, you can let me know if my impression of, of what somebody in the financial field is like is wrong, but also really interested to hear about your journey, which is so unlike uh, most of the guests that we've had here. Oh, well, it, it really goes back to my former occupation. I have only had two occupations in my life. And in addition to being a financial planner and author right now, I started my first business at the age of 15, and it was a summertime business. I did it through high school and then college. And um, we ended up seal coating driveways. I was, uh, I'm originally from upstate New York, a beautiful town called Saratoga Springs. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I started this business um, basically out of the trunk of my mom's Buick Electra and did eight driveways. And, uh, and then the next year, we did 25 driveways. And I did this through high school did it through college. And, uh, and then after college, when um, Mother Nature forced us to uh, stop operations due to temperatures in October, I said, you know, mom and dad are still living at home at the time. I said, I'm going to go to Australia and New Zealand for the six months of the off season, come back do the business one more year. And then I promise I'll get a real job. And uh, lo and behold, 10 years after college, I grew to the business to where we were doing several thousand driveways a summer. And it enabled me to spend uh, a month at that time in 65 different countries during that 10-year period of time. Boy, that's an amazing story. So where did the interest in financial planning come from? Well, when I was 19, I had had the business for four years. And I was making some pretty serious cash for a 19-year-old. And there's two things that a 19-year-old male has on their mind uh, at all times. And, and cars are certainly one of them. <laughs> and uh, I got permission or I got acceptance from our local bank to loan me the money to buy a brand new Honda Prelude. Do you remember those cars, Ron? Sure, yeah. And it was a stick shift, black on black. It even had power windows, which was pretty impressive at that time in the mid, mid 1980s. And I'll never forget the conversation that I had with my grandma, Ruth, who uh, was a huge influence on my life. And she was one of these people. She was born and raised in New York City. And she had financial wisdom. And she said to me, you know, somehow grandparents have a way of communicating with their grandchildren in a different way than parents. And she said, David, this is going to be the nicest of all the cars that, you know, that your friends have and so on. It's gorgeous. But I want to show you this chart. And she showed me a chart by introducing me to what an individual retirement account was. And at that time, the most you could fund was 2000 a year. And the chart basically showed if I started at the age of 19 and got the stock market average at that time of 10% per year and paid 2000 a year until I was 27 and never put another dime in that account, I would have over a million dollars by the time I was 65. And then the other side of the chart, so that if I started at age 27 and funded it all the years till age 65, that the first person didn't have to do, I'd have about 20% less money. Wow. And I'll never forget the statement she said to me that still impacts my life today. She said, David, I don't know what your goals are financially, but if, if you ever want to be independent of the paycheck, 
you don't need to do anything extraordinary. You just need to do some ordinary things extraordinarily well. Boy, that's that's quite a story. So uh, I think one of the the issues is there aren't a lot of 19-year-olds who think in those terms or that, you know, really don't assume they'll be able to catch up at some point. And I, I think the, the, the process of wealth management probably is a whole lot easier if your clients started at, at an early age. When we're looking at, at retirement, what advice do you say to uh, or provide to somebody who's a young person, who's kind of assuming that things will continue to grow, but putting money away for retirement means you can't spend it on something else. And for a lot of young people and a lot of older people, it means that you can't spend it on something that that isn't necessarily frivolous either. So how do you get people into that mindset? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. My father used to always say to me, the tougher you are on yourself today, the easier life will be on you later. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about doing it now and getting started. And one of the reasons I wrote this book for my clients, children, and grandchildren called Keep Climbing, A Millennial's Guide to Financial Planning, is that our schools don't teach our youth uh, anything about money, the power of compound interest, the law of 72, how easy it is if you start young to accumulate wealth. That's the doing the ordinary things extraordinarily well. It brings up a story of my grandma, Ruth, who I mentioned earlier, she also asked me a question that same day. She said, David, if you have a penny, would you rather have this penny doubled every day for 30 days or a million dollars? And of course I said, I'll take the million dollars. And then she went on to say, how many times do you think you need to double this penny to get to a million dollars? And I said something like 5,000 times because one penny becomes two cents, which becomes four and eight. But the reality is, is when you show it on paper, as I do in this book, as I do in my talks, by the time you double a penny every day for 30 days, you have over $5 million. Oh, come on. It is, you have to see it to believe it. And if uh, I'm happy to send that to you to add into the show notes, if you'd like for today. Um, But it's educating our youth on these simple concepts. But when you see it, and then believe it, it motivates people in their youth to start saving now. Great. Well, it sounds like you've got really good advice at the beginning from, from your grandmother. There have been any other particular financial gurus or people that, that have kind of given you your philosophy of how you approach wealth management? Yeah, I think a lot of it came early on from books that many of your listeners would have read. But, you know, Napoleon Hill's classic book, Thinking Grow Rich, which uh, delves as much into the riches of your wallet, but even more so of the riches of your mind, which is where you're an expert, Ron. And in that book, which was written in the 1930s, is still ahead of its time. And really influenced me in my youth. I I read it numerous times, so many times that I then got it on cassette tapes so I could listen to it. And those messages 
really had a positive impact on my life. Great. What about uh, your travels and all that kind of external, uh, or what we think about as, as external to the, the wealth management business? Does that played a role or any either anybody or anything that that you've learned in in various places yeah i think traveling to and really spending considerable amounts of time now in 75 countries has really just reinforced the idea of enjoying diversity enjoying the experiences of people who are different from me rather than wanting to be with people who are just like us it really opened my mind to what's truly important in our lives. Money is important, but much more so is is happiness. One of the psychologists that I'm sure you're aware of is the late Dr. Wayne Dyer. Sure. You probably read a lot of his books and he's been an enormous influence in my life. Again, being very fortunate to have the the role models like my grandma Ruth and my father in my life. My My father left me a book called it was his first book written in 1977 called Your Erroneous Zones. I don't know if you remember that book. Sure. And it was all about no matter how much we feel guilty about what happened in the past, it's not going to change the past. And no matter how much we worry about the future, it's not going to change the future. It's really focusing on today. And my travels through the world and meeting the people and the experiences I had really had me focus on as important as money is, and I associate money to freedom, not happiness, that happiness is, is, is the focus. And a matter of fact, Dr. Dyer had this quote saying, the least selfish thing we can do in our lifetime is be happy. And I thought to myself, that sounds more selfish. And he went on to say, when you're happy, you're not a burden on anyone's life. And if you think, Ron, who's the happiest person you know who ever comes to mind, someone probably quickly comes to mind, they're not a burden on anyone, are they? No. And then if I say, who's the least happy person you know, someone's coming to mind. And if I asked you, are they a burden on other people's lives, what would your answer be? They are an absolute drain. (laughs) Exactly. So I think happiness and joy does take some work. It doesn't just happen for most of us, but it's really worth putting that effort in to be as joyful and as happy as, as we, we can. Well, I was really interested in when, when you mentioned you associate money with freedom rather than, than happiness, the importance of happiness is really, really critical in positive psychology because we found out that people who are unhappy Poor people who wind up, uh, aside from abject poverty, where you know there, there's real reasons for unhappiness, but somebody who's doesn't have all the reasons to be unhappy, but is unhappy, and then that person acquires some wealth, they just become an unhappy, wealthy person. <laughs> so, you know, again, thinking about it, money and freedom is is a really good way of thinking. Yeah, in failure is not an option. I have a chapter called Spiritual Capitalism. And I tell a story about living with a tribe in Fiji in one of the outer islands called Taviuni for a month. And these people had dirt floors. They had no glass windows. They had no iPhones. They certainly didn't have any IRAs. 
And yet they were the happiest, most joyful people I ever met. And that got me realizing that there's a difference between being rich, which means having a lot of dollars in your bank account and being wealthy, which it means to me happiness in your heart. But it's really magical when you meet people who have both. Yeah, I think that should be the the goal for all of us, which leads me to to a couple of practical issues, one of which is uh, I certainly can understand the power of compounding and why so many of us should have started early. But what do you tell the person who just, you know, life has kind of interfered with with their saving plan or they may have made some incorrect decisions or they, they ran into issues where they weren't prepared for a job loss or they just, you know, were working and not accumulating. Is it is there a point at which it's too late or even if there isn't, what advice do you have for the, the person who can't start at 19 anymore because they're they're multiples of 19. Yeah. So you're talking about most people, unfortunately. And that really goes back to not being taught these simple principles in our youth. Uh, Warren Buffett said the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the next best time to plant a tree is today. And if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail in my book. And so if you're like a majority of the people out there, who really didn't get started or just getting started at this stage in life, it's better to get started today. It really is. And I suggest that for those listeners out there, and this pertains, who this pertains to, that they really do some due diligence and find an independent financial planner who's willing to work with them and guide them so that they have the highest probability of living a life that they've imagined in the second half of their financial journey, which is the years of retirement. And how does somebody find that kind of person? You know, it's almost like finding a dentist. You usually don't go, uh, you know, to the yellow pages if they even exist anymore. It's, It's asking other people, you know, do you know of any financial planners who are good, who you recommend, who you feel are honest and ethical? In, in getting out there. I think that's probably the best way to go. You know, most financial planners that I come across are, are talented at what they do for numerous reasons. And I write about this. I, I think it's in everyone's best interest to work with an independent financial advisor where they're not aligned to any Wall Street firm, uh, where they're true fiduciaries and their fiduciary responsibility is 100% to their client and not a Wall Street firm. Great. That's real, real helpful advice. One of the things that I've been working on is trying to enhance longevity to have people have the health and the mental faculties, social connected that, you know, will extend life. And we now know that there's the science to enable this to, to happen. And, you know, if you're in the habit of reading obituaries, which I suspect you aren't, but, uh, you know, you see that there are more people uh, listed now in their 90s, their high 90s, 100 plus. When I, I've looked it up, I think when I was born, the, the lifespan was like 60. And uh, obviously that that's changed. But still, 
if you thought that you were pretty well set financially in the old days, that meant, boy, I could live to be 75 and uh, never run out of money, which doesn't say anything about what happens if you live to be 95. Are, has your advice changed or is there anything that uh, people can do to take into account the fact uh, that, hey, it's, you know, it's kind of like when my sons were born, I thought I was putting away enough money for college. And uh, I, I think by the time they bought textbooks for the first semester, we got cut into a big share of that. I think, it's, I wonder if it's the same thing going on here. Is there something yeah. that can be done to offset the, this, this phenomenon? Yeah, it's an interesting topic that you bring up, Ron. Um, when we meet with people who are introduced to our practice, we do a risk audit and we share the eight major risks that everyone faces as they plan for or enter retirement. And longevity is one of them. You know, it's really great to see so many people living longer. I, I say graying now means playing. And uh, so many people I see are trading in their rocking chairs for their stand-up paddle boards and electric bicycles, which is great to see. Heather, the, the lovely lady of my life, her grandmother recently passed away at 106 years wow. of age. The fastest growing part of our demographics per, uh, per capita are centenarians, people 100 and older. And last year, Hallmark greeting cards sold over 75,000 100th birthday cards. So the beautiful thing is that people are living longer. They're staying healthier, the advancements in medicine. The challenge from a financial perspective is that people are living longer. One of the other major risks that we all face in retirement is inflation. And inflation is nothing new. It averages three to 4%, although it's been at a 40-year high this past year, and it's probably going to increase but it always comes back to the law of averages. And the interesting thing is that at 3.5% inflation, the cost of living doubles mathematically every 20 years. So if someone retires at age 60 and we still have a third of their life statistically left, by the time they're 80 years young, if they're living on $100,000 hypothetically net of taxes by the time they're 60, we have to have enough money in that account, all things being equal, to take out $200,000 when they're 80. Now, here's the scary part. If you live to be 100, just like Heather's grandmother did, that cost of living doubles again, and that 200,000 needs to be 400,000. Now, a lot of people say, this sounds out of control, this is crazy. But I am going to guess, Ron, that you spent significantly more money on your last automobile than your parents spent on their first home. And that really sums up the dangers of inflation and longevity. I share this stuff not to bring fear into anyone's life. Fear is my least favorite word. And very often it stands for F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. But knowledge is power, and it's so important, as we were discussing earlier, to work with a financial advisor if, you, if you're really not up on top of all of this stuff, 
who's really going to give you the information and help hold your hand through these very important years. Well, I hadn't hoped to get depressed but with this interview, but uh, I, I think being prepared is really the, the key here. So I'm wondering, uh, just from uh, a practical standpoint, uh, I'm going to get into some of the things that that you do in, in closing and how people can, can be in touch with you. But tell us about your books first, because that's something that pretty much anybody can reach, whether they are working with you or not. Well, Ron, by now, you know about me as one of my core values is fun. After being in the financial industry over the last 21 years, I realized that no one wants to come home at night or over the weekend and read a financial planning book. It's not fun. So I set out the goal to write the first financial planning books that were actually a lot of fun to read. And the way I did this is I start each, each chapter with a true life adventure story, like being in Berlin the day the wall came down or being in Cuba or Vietnam before it was legal to be traveling there as an American. And link that to a financial lesson that, you know, if you drink enough wine while you're writing, you can find the correlation. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so it takes people on international journeys. And at the same time, they're learning a lot of these key financial lessons for those who are at or near retirement or that other book, Keep Climbing, A Millennial's Guide to Financial Planning, which is really focused on the youth and trying to motivate them to be tough on themselves today. Great. Well, I can really encourage people to, it's probably the, the best place to start thinking about retirement is, is to get some of David's advice and uh, move forward with it. And what about for people who want to, uh, get more from you than, than your books? How, uh, how do people find you, get in touch with you? Are wealth managers limited by geography? Are there, in, in other words, what can you offer to my listeners and who may be interested in following further with you and, and who can take advantage of that? Oh, well, thanks for asking, Ron. Um, we realize that we can't be experts in all areas of financial uh, planning. So the focus of our practice is helping people who have already accumulated wealth and they're at or near retirement, getting ready for the second half of their financial journey. And we're happy uh, if we're not the right fit to help guide you to someone who might be the right fit. And the way that listeners can reach out to me is they can reach me by email, which is David at rosellwealthmanagement.com, all spelled out, and Roselle is R-O-S-E-L-L. And our office phone number here in beautiful Bend, Oregon is 541-385-8831. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, we also have fun with our podcast. So if anyone wants to tune in, uh, it's called Recession Proof Your Retirement with David Roselle. Great. Great. We'll have all this information in the show notes. So uh, if somebody's driving, you know, keep driving, you, you can get the show notes. But this has been such an informative and educational and entertaining just presentation. And, and as I knew it would be, 
But I'm wondering, is there anything that I should have asked you but didn't or anything else that uh, you can think listeners of any age should be aware of either about you or about uh, the whole planning for retirement process? You know, for some reason, a story about a gentleman named Ed Beaster is coming to mind because it really helped give me the motivational force to write my books. And I don't know if you ever heard of Ed, but Ed is the greatest mountaineer to ever walk the planet Earth, in my opinion. He's, uh, he's based out of Seattle, Washington. He summited Mount Everest seven times successfully, but did so without supplemental oxygen. Wow. It is this unheard of. And I'll never forget the time when he shared with me that most people think his goal when he leaves base camp is to get to the top. And he said, that's absolutely not his goal at all. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, when you're at the top, you still have the second half of the journey left. And he said, by the way, 80% of the accidents and 80% of the deaths happen on the descent. And so his goal is to summit and understandably to get back down alive to see his friends and family. And when he said to me, it's the second half of his journey that takes on the most amount of risk and needs the most amount of planning. That was my aha moment when I realized that when people are climbing their financial mountain, they're accumulating, they're putting money hopefully away into their IRAs and 401ks and health savings accounts. And then they get to the top of the financial pinnacle, which is the last day that they're adding to these accounts. And now it's going to be the first day that they start living off of them. And based on the longevity that you brought up, it could be two, three, and sometimes four decades. I believe it's the second half of one's financial journey that also takes on the most amount of risks and needs the most amount of planning. Boy, that's quite a story. And it's a great one for us to end on. So on that note, since don't think we can get any, any higher than Mount Everest. Uh, <laughs> thank you very, very much, David, for such a wonderful podcast, such a great interview, and being so helpful to our audience. And looking forward to hopefully doing this again someday. I would enjoy that. And I really appreciate you having me on your show today, Ron. Great. And uh, you're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. So you've got some more of the day to enjoy and uh, hopefully now it it's the days are getting longer so so we've got some time to enjoy here too so again this brings to a close another episode of rejuvenating with dr ron kaiser want to thank you all for listening as well as thanking david roselle for being such a terrific guest keep in mind we do depend on people listening. So tell your friends about it. And in the meantime, if you haven't done so yet, download, rate, review the podcast, and also visit the Mental Health Gym website. Uh, you also have some great resources in the show notes to visit to gain more information about David and his work, including two wonderful books. So until next time, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off, and we're getting close to the end, but we're still in the pandemic, so I'm going to continue to stay safe out there, and let's all start thinking more creatively about how we're going to 
manage financially for however long we live and let's hope it's a good long time and see you next week. <laughs>